0: Today, on the first ever episode of Way Too Interested, comedian Roy Wood Jr. talks about his obsession with jigsaw puzzles, and you get to see me learn how to make a podcast. Come on and join us. So, your hobby went from borderline to totally obsessive. is gonna find out how you got way too interested. Way too interested. Hey, everybody. That was the Gregory Brothers who uh, were awesome enough to do my theme song for this show. Uh, My name is Gavin Purcell, and I'm brand new at this, so please forgive me. This is my first episode of my new podcast. The podcast is called Way Too Interested. Um, I talk to interesting people and ask them about a subject matter that they're kind of currently obsessed with outside of their everyday lives. Then the two of us talk to an expert in that subject matter, do a deep dive, and learn a whole lot more. It's a show about curiosity, discovery, creativity, and most importantly, pursuing those little things that get stuck inside your brain and end up being way more fascinating than you ever expected. As I said, my name is Gavin Purcell. I have a background in TV, a bunch of other stuff, um, and I'm interested in way, way too many things. So this was my chance to be able to kind of like explore a bunch of interesting topics, talk to people that I find fascinating, and actually learn a lot more about the world. Each week at the top of each show, I'm gonna talk to my guests first a little bit about their creativity process, how they discover new things, just try to figure out a little bit more about what makes them tick and how they find new and interesting information. I'm a big believer in this idea that uh, pursuing and following our interests, kind of no matter what they are, makes us better and more creative people, and I hope that listening to this podcast inspires you to do the same thing as well. Today's guest, is a very, very funny person. His name is Roy Wood Jr. If you're not familiar with him, he is a regular contributor to The Daily Show, has been doing stand-up for a really long time. I find him fascinating. He's one of the best Twitter users out there. Uh, And his subject matter that he chose was Jigsaw Puzzles, which you'll learn about in my interview with him. Has kind of become a, a pretty deep obsession with him, something he's paid attention to for a long time and something he really cares about. In the second half of the interview, we're going to talk to a guy named Steve Richardson, who has a fascinating story. He runs a company called Stave Puzzles, and they make kind of high-end, weird jigsaw puzzles that are really designed to, like, mess with people's brains. Uh, so I will be stick around for that. Um, but first, before we get started, here are three interesting things about Roy. Okay, fact number one about Roy. Number one. He started doing stand-up at 19 years old, which to me is like a miracle. I can't imagine at 19 years old getting up in front of a crowd. I, I can't imagine doing that right now, first of all, but uh, I can't imagine at 19 years old getting up in front of a crowd and baring your soul and not just being torn down. Uh, I just believe that anybody who has the confidence and the ability to do that right away, that's super fascinating to me. Uh, number two... Roy's Twitter feed, which is at Roywood Jr., is really great, and I really suggest you go check it out. Um, But what I love about it, too, is it's not just jokes. He does jokes, and he has a lot of them, but also he kind of spans a lot of interest. One of my favorite things is he cares a lot about video games, as I do as well, and does a great job of making jokes about the video games that uh, allow it to kind of hit the mainstream stuff, but also kind of itch that nerdy side of me as well, and I think you'll enjoy it. And then finally, number three, uh, fact number three, he's extraordinarily prolific. This guy works his ass off. Um, not only does he have his gig on The Daily Show and do a regular stand-up specials, which you should definitely go watch his last stand-up special. It's amazing. He also has a bunch of other things going on, including a couple podcasts. One which is on Spotify right now called Roy's Job Fair, which we get into here and it's what's cool about it is I think is that he's using his ability to get things made to kind of expand out further from just like the basics, uh, one of the themes I think of this podcast that I really love exploring is this idea of like what you can do to become a better creative by doing other things outside of your normal thing. So if, if anything, Roy kind of really opens up that idea and he's trying a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, obviously, he has a background in radio, so he's much more he's much more suited to do this than maybe I am. But he is fantastic. And, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here's Roy Wood Jr. Welcome to Roy Wood Jr. Super, super funny guy. If you don't know him, he's uh, on The Daily Show. He's been there for a few years now. Uh, Has a very, very funny Twitter handle, at Roy Wood Jr. And also just started a new podcast, which is called Roy's Job Fair, right? Yes. Roy, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you. A pleasure and an honor. I like to switch it up now.
0: Oh, that's very nice. Before we jump into the subject matter, I want to just really quickly talk to you about your podcast and kind of let me know what was the what was your uh, kind of uh, MO behind it? Why did you want to do that podcast?
1: It's literally, it's a job fair. And so when you think of a job fair, what do you have at a job fair? You have opportunities to get jobs, you have career tips, you have ways to be better at your job. And so we took that and made it funny. And then we sprinkle in Ways to steal from your job, terrible things that may have happened at your job, stories about people who've had sex on the job. And so it's an oscillation between productivity and commiseration with strangers. So we just talk to regular everyday ass people. And sometimes we talk to people, you know, from major corporations. And it's literally the sole purpose of it is to get you connected with places that are hiring, get you thinking about places you could pivot. If you haven't had the guts, we talk to people who do have the guts and maybe that'll give you the guts. And then also there's a story about a dude that delivers mail for the postal service who told us about a time he delivered certified letters to crack houses in Southern California. Oh my God. Didn't even know crack houses had an active address, but yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Well, thanks again for being here. So um, my podcast is called Way Too Interested, which uh, is about people's kind of side obsessions. So I'm having everybody do this, so I apologize ahead of time. But will you tell me your name, state your name, and then tell me what you're way too interested in?
1: My name is Roy Wood Jr., and I am way too interested in puzzles.
0: Great. All right. So let's get into this. Jigsaw puzzles, specifically puzzles or jigsaw puzzles are a phenomenon of the last, like, say, six months or a year, but this goes actually quite a ways back further for you, right? Like, when do you when did you first start doing puzzles?
1: Ooh, like, I've always liked brain teaser, weird stuff like that. I The first puzzle I remember, and we're not talking Jig. To me, anything is a puzzle. If you're trying to think towards the solution, blah, blah, blah. I was born in 78, so I came up on those road trips in the 80s where... You know, this is long before Game Boys. Hell, this is before Tiger Electronics had the two button LCD little <laughs> video game. Yeah, the maze with the marble inside. Oh yeah, the, the, the little, little flat. roll around one? Correct, that was probably patient zero for me in terms of like puzzles and like figuring out weird, quirky things or whatever. Um, and then that slowly escalated into you know the Rubik's cube, which honestly I was never a fan of.
0: Me either. I hated those. I things. did it
1: here and there, but it just felt—I don't know—it just felt stupid. And then when I would see people solve it really fast, I would get jealous, and I just—you eh, know what? Not for me. Uh, and then I started getting you know jigsaw puzzles here and there as gifts. Uh, my mother's an educator, so a lot of her friends are educators, and that's what educators do—they give you. Jigsaw fucking puzzles that make you think and Etch-a-Sketches and to stimulate his creativity. Do you know what that
0: reminded me of? when You were talking about puzzles and those old toys. Did you ever have, I don't know why this came into my head, there was this old book series that would come with like an invisible ink pen. Does that sound familiar to you at all? And you'd have yes. to look at the book and you'd reveal the answer with the invisible ink pen. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know why that just popped into viggly, my head.
1: Viggly. Yeah, my boy has some something similar, but it's with watermark stuff. Oh, wow. So it's a wet pen. That you kind of dip in, it's like a felt tip, like wet. It's basically a, it's a tube sponge that operates as a pen, right? And you dab water on certain parts of the page, and it reveals the fucking. Uh, and he's amazed by it.
0: I mean, that's what, but kids, that's what kids. Part of it is like they just love to discover stuff, right? And that's one of the things that with puzzles I always found because I was a, I was a pretty nerdy as a kid, really into video games, but also into puzzles and not just jigsaw puzzles, but into stuff to figure out. And I think part of it when you're young is you just like the ability to figure out anything. Right? There's so much weird Correct. shit going on around you. You just want to figure stuff out.
1: Yeah. Or reassemble, disassemble. Like I had, I had Legos out the ass and I would always build it as instructed first and then strip it down and never build that again. And the Legos just became part of like the concept of buying loose Legos now. I wish that I could have. You never they didn't sell Lucy's. In 84, you had to buy the main shit and then repurpose those bricks into whatever you wanted it to be. But yeah, that was always an obsession of mine, you know, was was just, you know, anything with the hands and moving and, you know, stuff like that. I had robotics kind of motorized, you know, you would call it stem toys now. But, you know, in 84, it was just a motorized It's basically motorized Legos with you know pulley and um, the the belts or whatever system of belts and pulleys or whatever.
0: No, I don't usually think of it as a toy.
1: The all new Gilbert Erector Set.
0: It's more like a whole world, I guess. You know what I mean. What uh when you're doing it even now? So now you're you know grown a grown man, let's say. What is the kind of vibe in your brain? when you're doing a puzzle? Like, how does it feel
1: to you? Everything goes away, which is why I like it. So I, let me add an addendum. Everything I'm telling you about me is till I went to college and then I discovered video games, food and women and alcohol and then stand-up comedy and then morning radio. So there was like a (laughs) 15-year... Break? Yeah, like a legit... From pretty much 96 to 07. I moved to LA in 07. And I booked a gig in Vegas. And I don't know if it was at the gift shop or the airport or some shit. Or where Or I don't know where I saw it. But I saw a glow-in-the-dark panoramic Las Vegas puzzle. By this company, Buffalo Games. And I go, okay. That would look cool on my wall. Fuck yeah. That's some good decoration. Rather than buy a panoramic picture of Vegas across the store. You're going to work at it. Puzzle. I'm going to work at it. (laughs) So I buy the puzzle, put the puzzle together, leave it on the table. And like that was the first hit of the dope again of remembering the peace and the calm that came with just sitting and putting a puzzle together. It's actually something I'm going to get back into. I've fallen out of it. Since I've moved to New York, unfortunately, but it's definitely a a very important part of my mental piece and so you know that you know I don't know I just I really enjoy putting that Vegas puzzle together and then going to Michael's and discovering all these different puzzle glues like I thought puzzle glue was just puzzle glue, and they're like, no baby, do you want matte finish or gloss?" How thick is the puzzle? These are important. You need wax paper to put under. You don't want to glue your puzzle to the table, do you? Oh my, oh my God, this is true. And then you need a fucking big piece of poster board to rest it. It's just It's
0: What's the glue brand? Do you know the glue brand that you're supposed to get? Is there like a prime glue brand?
1: I end up getting a different brand every time. I could get up and go look at the closet and I could name you two. Like there's the goop style that you pour and then spread like um cement. And then there's like the the puzzle glue sticks, which I guess are more precise. Yeah, it's like a glue stick, a tube of liquid shit, and you're just smearing it. But I kind of like the the white that dries clear like Elmer's. Oh, yeah, sure. You just kind of do, you pour it in a zigzag and then just spread evenly like spackle. So, yeah, I'll do the puzzle. I frame it. I put it on the wall. And do you still have all the puzzles you've made? I have every last one of them. What I don't have is enough wall space in New York City to win the discussions with my partner on <laughs> where all these what places go because she is not a fan. She is not. Yeah, I can imagine,
0: I can imagine what this I, and conversation I shouldn't, And like. it's
1: not my place to fucking make her like it. It's all right. Just give me one wall to put some shit I like. I also have a picture of a Voltron lion. She ain't with that shit. So I took that to work. <laughs> yep, i've been there have a voltron line i have a heath ledger joker painting that completely wasn't sanctioned by the way this is just some artist going rogue and it's beautiful and i can't put it up in my home so i have to find somewhere for it
0: i have a uh a, a polygon incredible hulk that's made of polygons Mm-hmm. That my wife and two daughters have all made me swear would never fight its way onto one of the walls of our home, and I cannot bear to get rid of it. So it sits in our garage, piped up against the wall. At least I can look at it from time to time, but I feel like that's what happens to a lot of these things.
1: I don't know if it's happiness or cry for help, but my dream is to just have one space in my home that no one can fucking say anything to me about. And that's where all that shit's going to go. That's the puzzles and the, the stupid figurines. I'm trying not to get into figurines. I got gifted two figurines in the last two years, and they were really nice, like fucking 116th, like fucking huge. Oh, yeah. And I ended up, like, re-gifting them to colleagues' children. But if I get one more, that's the universe telling me, bro, it's time. Let's get a room. Bro, I'm going to be full-blown run-funches around this bitch. I'm going to have all types of shit in my room. It's going to be great.
0: So, you were, so you, when you got back into puzzles, what was the step from the Las Vegas puzzle to starting to go deeper down the rabbit hole? Was it, did you start learning about that particular company? I know you've talked about Buffalo Games before.
1: It, it, like, it, it kind of became an issue of like really trying to, I really wanted to do panoramics, right? So then you end up on all of these weird, websites and puzzle groups and whatever and the best panoramics and also it had to be a city i performed in that's the other thing oh, about travel cool. is that i only like things on the wall of places i've gone that's just kind of my little that's my thing i could tell you why but i just don't want some random place it has to be someone i'm i fucking go so i started searching online a lot hmm. and seeing a lot of things that just kept pointing back to the same style Also, 750 pieces was the perfect amount.
0: Oh, yeah. How long does that take you?
1: Ooh. I could probably knock it out in a week in the course of two-hour sittings. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah.
1: Give or take. Um, Yeah. The trend in LA tended to be when I was working on new material was when I was more prone to just focusing on one thing. Basically, I'm clearing everything out of my mind. Everything in the world has to leave my mind. And then I can think solely about these jokes or just listen to this bit. Or if I'm working on a show and I need to learn my lines, I would read my lines into like some voice recorder or, you know, and then listen back to that scene over and over again while doing a puzzle or something.
0: That's was like going to say my grandmother, who I did puzzles with when I was a kid, was very meditative doing them. She would sit down there. This was a woman who was, you know, had nine kids, right? So I'm one of like 20 grandkids, a huge, huge Irish Catholic family. But she would sit down and she would sit down for at least an hour, often two or three, and was quiet. And it's actually something I was kind of surprised. I remember seeing her once. And when we'd sit there and do it together and we were quiet. And that was a really unusual experience for me was doing something with somebody else quietly. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that feeling of like actually sitting there and oh i'm with this other person who i don't have to talk to and we're doing something together is actually really peaceful
1: yeah there's there's something to it i think a lot of people are very scared of silence a lot of people run from silence but i don't know i i enjoy it i enjoy the mundaneness of it but it's also active yep if that makes sense
0: what are your um what did your wife think about your hobby when you first met her or prior to becoming your wife?
1: Well, when she when she moved in, it was very much how many of the, it, like it's a negotiation, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, someone moves in, let's say there's eight things on the wall that she doesn't like. It's gonna be a conversation a month at a time, one picture at a time.
0: <laughs> and then they'll and all so be gone. They're all gone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> until they're all gone, but then there's also the, the 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 trade of well, it's her space too, so she needs to feel whatever the fuck she wants to feel when she looks at the wall. So, all right, I'll give you Voltron in exchange for that fucking Earth picture that you want to. All right, fine, fine, okay, you can take down the Vegas puzzle and the Chicago puzzle and the San Francisco, like, the two that I was able to defend the longest was New York and San Francisco. Her family's from the Bay. Right. And New York is where we are. Yeah. So those two, you know, but no. Not even in the kids' room.
0: How big are they? Like, what's the dimensions when they're all put together?
1: Three, about three feet long, a foot wide. mean, three feet wide, about a foot tall. Okay, so it's not that big, man. Not crazy big. Yeah, a bunch of long rectangles. But keep in mind, I framed them too, so I've added like an inch of matting around them and shit. Like it's it's a lot. It's a work of art. I have I have a cool one too. I have a um, I came up on a map of the of the underground in London. Oh, cool. Of their subway system, and so I grabbed that one and frame that one up. I think I want to do the same thing for New York City. I kind of like the subway system oh, yeah. in terms yeah. of just the infrastructure of it is impressive.
0: Have you seen so when I was looking up stuff for this podcast, um, there's a lot of puzzles out there that are like created to be insane. Uh and actually Steve, who we're gonna to talk to a little bit, his company makes a bunch of these, but I saw one that was all white. It was a thousand pieces. And it was all white. And I was trying to get to the heart of like, why would somebody... It almost feels like you're torturing yourself to do this. Have you seen any of these things? They're like some really crazy looking ones.
1: I've seen them and I have no interest. <laughs> the best I can do is level four Sudoku. Oh, what?
0: I didn't even know Sudoku has levels. Is it? Is there levels to yeah, it? Yeah,
1: there's some book. I, it's the same guy who does them in the New York Times. Okay. I, I'm going to say Will Shorts, but I'm probably wrong. But right. You know, I can Google that guy, the next right? time you're talking. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he does other weird brain fart shit as well. Yeah, Sudoku's definitely has levels, and that's maddening. Oh, yeah. And that has a salute. Like, Sudoku, I enjoy because it teaches you patience. Patience and deductive reasoning, and like really focusing on this, this, and this. And this. it's memory work. You right. Know? I don't know, man. I. I don't know why anybody would want an all white or an all blue puzzle like that just seems asinine. And even if you know the patterns of the pieces, it's just not. Oh,
0: well, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's interesting. So let's I want to get to get into because We're going to bring Steve on here in a second. So. You know, what is it? What is something you want to know from somebody who's an expert puzzle maker? Like Steve's been making puzzles for about 30 years um, and he makes crazy ones, but he's been doing it
1: and they hand cut pieces. They
0: do a lot of stuff. What are some things you want to know from him?
1: I would love to know how they hire the people that do this. Like that's really like out the gate. Like. How do you even know who has the puzzle gift? Do you have the gift in your heart or you're born with it? Because this isn't a job you can just interview for. Puzzle cutter. Like, what did you do before that? Well, I was at Home Depot. I worked a sawhorse. <laughs> 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 you know, I done some some wood shop and wood chipping. And yeah, I like, like to draw like weird know. shapes
0: on the ground all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like, and then it's also An art form, there's a perfectionist, there's a level of perfectionism that has to go into this as well. You can't just willy-nilly just be wild cutting pieces. These guys, so so this
0: company, first of all, somebody called, the Smithsonian Magazine called them the Rolls-Royce of puzzle makers. And they do hand-carve pieces, I think. So I, I watched a video of these women that work there, and we'll have to talk to Steve about this, but I think they take the puzzle and they've got it there, and like, you know, now that I say that they might draw them out ahead of time, but they're doing it all by hand, and they're cutting into wood, and it's just incredible in that way. I, I was, like, shocked when I saw that. But it also goes to show you just, like, what artisanship can mean. It's like, yeah, you know puzzles. There's, of course, there's, like, the world's best puzzle maker, too.
1: Yeah, and it's like, you've made this puzzle with these unique pieces, which really makes it more difficult, because now you don't even know what the hell you're looking for Angle wise, the yeah, standard exactly. jigsaw puzzle. I know, as I call it with my son, you're looking for this piece has an any, so you need a piece that has an Audi. So, you're looking for something with an Audi that's blue that matches the any that's blue.
0: We'll have to ask Steve about this, but he uh he designs a piece, and this is super diabolical, it feels like to me, that looks like an edge piece but sits in the middle of the puzzle. What a bastard. It's a terrible, it's a, a terrible person, man. But people love those. Terrible, oh, you know the other thing about this company? Um, they don't put a picture on the top of the box. Whoa. So you have to kind of figure out what's going on. So anyway, we'll get into that with him. We'll see how we'll see what he says to say so about it. So you
1: don't it. even know what you bought a picture of?
0: Nope. You don't know what you bought. It's like you put a lot of trust in these people.
1: And th- your puzzle chose you. I didn't <laughs> choose my puzzle. My picture chose me.
0: Okay, we'll be right back with Steve Richardson, the founder of Stave Puzzles. And Roy's got a bunch of questions, and so do I. Stick around.
1: Way too interested.
0: All right, we'll be right back with the second half of the interview. But before we do, um, this is where you would normally hear an ad in the show. And I don't have ads now. I'm not sure if I'm going to have them, but we'll see. Probably not. For, obviously not for these first 10, because I'm uh, making these before... I've released them. Uh, In the future, we might. But for right now, I'm using this space to kind of shout out some books that I love that I believe kind of lean into this conversation that we're having about curiosity and about discovering new things. I want to shout out a book on this first episode that I really loved. It's kind of a small book. I don't know how many people know about it, but the book's name is Curious. The Desire to Know and Why Your Future Depends on It by a guy named Ian Leslie. This book just gets to the heart of the idea that, that I really believe and why I'm making this show is that more people need to kind of lean into their curiosities no matter what they are. Um, it does a great job of kind of opening up the idea of curiosity as a general topic and I highly recommend it. Again, the title is Curious, The Desire to Know and Why Your Future Depends on It by Ian Leslie. Also, quick shout out. This is not an ad, but I'm a big fan of theirs. I read a lot of these books on audible.com or or anywhere you can get audiobooks. I know the library has a good audiobook uh, delivery device. Audiobooks are great because they are essentially just very long podcasts, if you kind of think of them that way. I have found myself listening to them all the time and it's a much better use of your time than filling it with a few other things. So get this either on audio or uh, in book form and let's get back to the show. Joining us now is Steve Richardson of Stave Puzzles and he has an amazing story and makes incredible puzzles. So you should definitely check him out. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Um, We are now joined by Steve Richardson who is the founder of Stave Puzzles and refers to himself as the tormentor-in-chief of Stave Puzzles and is a, I want to say, lifelong puzzle maker and puzzle um, aficionado, but is pretty, for, for quite a while, right, Steve? You started Stave Puzzles in the 60s, is that right, or the 70s? 1974.
2: 1974. But before that, when I was nine years old, in the in the 40s, <clears throat> my grandfather in Providence, Rhode Island, seeing that I loved doing my grandmother's wooden jigsaw puzzles. We'd come over there, my brother and I would run to the table and you know, start working on it on the wooden puzzle. He gave me a little saw, a little Dremel saw back there. And day one of using that little saw, I ran the blade right up the middle of my index finger. And my mother dragged me off to the doctor's office to get me stitched up and said, buddy, your puzzle making career is over she unplugged this beautiful little saw it was only a day old threw it in the trash can dragged me to the doctor's office and and uh that was the beginning of my (laughs) puzzle career not an auspicious beginning but
0: that's unbelievable
2: yeah so when i had a chance to uh make puzzles my mother was a little embarrassed because my mother, brother and I were supposed to go off into the business wheel. We both had MBAs and big, big successes. So when I started making puzzles, she was like, oh, how do I explain to my friends what this my dumb son is doing?
1: Sounds like stand-up comedy.
2: <laughs> so I asked it. I said, Mother, you remember the day that you threw away my beautiful little saw when I was only nine years old? She said, I did. I said, oh. God, you know, all that pain and suffering all those years. And she doesn't even remember it because I want to say, hey, Ma, look, you know, I finally made it here. I'm, I'm making uh, jigsaw puzzles finally.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you one question and kick us off. And then I'm going to probably have Roy take over for a couple questions, too. But my, the first thing I wanted to ask you about, Steve, is I'm always so curious about, like, the origin of an actual puzzle. Like, what makes a good puzzle in your mind? Like, what, what's the definition of a good puzzle?
2: Well, something that will puzzle you, perplex you, make you scratch your head and make you focus. I mean, the, the beauty of, of, a, of a wooden puzzle is that all the pieces are in front of you, not like they're up on the screen or anything like that. They're right in front of you and you touch the pieces and there's this tactile sensation and it's chaos. And it's instinctively your brain wants to make order out of chaos. And so you're looking at all these pieces, none of them connected. And said, "Oh my God, what am I going to do here?" But then you start to focus, and you say, "Oh, okay, I'm going to separate the reds over here, the blues over here, the edge pieces down here." So you're dividing and conquering, and that gives you a great sense of accomplishment. Meanwhile, you know you're blocking everything out, and you're just escaping. A good puzzle will be one that will puzzle, or not uh, that you can whip together in uh in in 20 minutes and not that will take 20 days because all red puzzles are all black or whatever you know some people go for those i don't they're not any fun because i'd like to be able to divide the pieces up and you know put the reds together and the blues and the water and and whatever so it's just a great it's a great escape and and the tactile sensation is so primitive but it's still there with us we enjoy picking up the little pieces Oh, here I am sitting here. I don't even have a puzzle in front of me. But uh, you know what? Uh, we're not on yet, right? So
0: well, we're on. But you can go. You can take a break. You want to go grab something?
2: Yeah, let's just give me give me only about thirty seconds. Okay? okay,
0: that's fair. All right, great.
1: I think what's crazy, man, is that when you really look back at our child, when we look back at our childhoods, everything that you are now, the signs were there.
0: One thousand percent.
1: The signs were all there, which is why I'm sometimes I'm in denial because my son loves puzzles. But when he sees a microphone or a camera, I can see something turn on in him. Mm -hmm. Like he loves interviewing me. He loves taking photos and he's five and I see it. And just instinctively, I'm like, no, (laughs) don't get into this. I am not driving you to Nickelodeon auditions. Exactly. It's like Tim Meadows in uh, that Dewey Cox with oh, John yeah. C. Riley where he keeps coming in and Tim Meadows is doing cocaine in the bathroom. Yeah. Get out of here, Dewey. <laughs> you don't want any of this.
0: <laughs> okay, here we go, guys. No, here we go.
2: So if you got a puzzle like this, I'm gonna you can see the finished puzzle. A castle puzzle has negative space, irregular edge. Now, that that drives people crazy <clears throat> because they don't know quite how to start a puzzle.
1: Well, because it's supposed to have squares and rectangles, sir, respectively. Exactly, yeah. Sorry for raising my voice.
2: <laughs> Sounds like you've had some experience with <laughs> some difficult puzzles. <laughs> and so the, the ability to grab a piece like this that's thick and beautiful and smooth. It's just a, uh, a tactile pleasure. And so this is why when you're sitting there trying to figure out how to group the pieces and where to start, it, it's, a, it's still there. I was concerned that we would get knocked off by puzzles that were online, where you take, take your, your mouse and move the pieces around and click them in and whatever. That's not even remotely a problem there. The, the good puzzle is just is the type of puzzle that will give you many different types of options of where to start. And so you know you can see here, obviously if you're going to start this puzzle, you know all the blonde pieces would be you put them over in one place and then the other pieces. The, the beauty of our, of our puzzles, we were the first to invent this type of puzzle uh, back in the 70s. You see these pieces, they are nested together in this negative space.
0: Yeah, do you want to describe that, Steve, real quick? Because I think most people will probably listen to this rather than see it. Um, but just describe a negative space piece. What does that mean?
2: Meaning little bits of, of wood have been removed and thrown away from the puzzle. So there's a hole in the puzzle, but there's an artistic hole. <clears throat> Meaning it's meant to be there. These puzzle, these pieces nest together, but they, they lock together. Tightly, when you get them in the right position. They don't flop around inside the cavity there. So when I started the business in Dave in 1974, we had both been laid off from a computer business and we didn't know what to do with ourselves and our wives didn't want to move. And so there we were. And we started to make cardboard puzzles for people. There's people in Connecticut that stamped them out. And so we sold cardboard puzzles to Different people and different uh, companies, like Killington Ski Area. Hey, you need a puzzle, a trail map there, so we would do that. Then a wealthy Bostonian called up and said, "I want a wooden puzzle." I said, "Well, we make cardboard." Uh, he said, "I've been buying wooden puzzles for four, almost forty years, from these two characters in New York City. They're out of business. One died, one retired." And uh, uh, I said, "How much are you paying? Three hundred dollars a puzzle." This is 1974. We were getting three dollars wholesale for our cardboard puzzles, okay? I'm a math major, I can handle that. I can look at a wooden puzzle that's 100 times more than what we're getting for cardboard. I rocketed down to Boston, where this guy happened to be, we're in Vermont, to look at a $300 wooden puzzle. He let me borrow it. It was beautiful. It was kind of like this. And I, I said, "Oh, I practically flunked woodworking in uh, junior high. I did. I mean, I mean, my, my bird bo- <laughs> bird houses were a little askew, and uh, tables were." Blah, blah, blah. I took it, took a puzzle back and showed it to David, who was my partner in our game and puzzle design company, and we scratched our heads uh, and said, "Well." Uh, there appears to be a bunch of wealthy eccentrics. Now, this guy said that the, the customers of this company went out of business. Were Rockefellers, Mellons, DuPonts, Phipps, you name it. They were the creme de la creme of society. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, wait a minute here. Here we are scratch, scratching out a living with three-dollar cardboard puzzles. But there's a super wealthy that'll pay three hundred dollars a puzzle. Duh. Let's figure it out. Let's, let's see what we can do to break into the market. My father-in-law had an old scroll saw. And in the summer, literally, here it is, May. This was in May of 1974. We set up a scroll saw in my garage on Main Street in Norwich, here Vermont, right across the river from Dartmouth College. And we tried to figure out how to make these suckers. I mean, this was like Oh, how do we get the wood? I mean, how do we glue the pitcher to the? Where do we get the pitches? They had to go down to the Harvey Coop and buy pitches uh, for, uh, that students would buy and hang on their walls. And, and so I said to David, uh, we just gotten a big check from National Football League properties. We, we two guys, six from the Sticks, had sold a big game to an NFL properties, got a $25,000 check. Our game went out to International House of Pancakes, three million game. Jim Plunkett was advertising on national TV. And so we said, let's take some of this 25 grand and uh, put an advertisements in New Yorker magazine. This is uh, like in June. and It's a race against the clock. Uh, you know, we'll put the ads in there for September, Christmas, and let's see if we can smoke out of the, flush out of the woodwork, the existing customer base of this old puzzle company. And so we worked our buns off during the summer of, Seventy-four, and uh, ran the ad, and it worked. The very first customer. This is astonishing. The first customer from that ad, that following Monday when the New Yorker ad broke in, uh, that uh, Saturday Sunday, he averaged fifty thousand a year with us for twenty
0: years. Okay, that's a million bucks. You tell me, there's money in puzzles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
0: Hey, yeah. Roy, I think you want to get wow. a couple questions in here too. Huh? Roy wanted to know, know a couple of things. No, well, keep Steve telling something? the story. This
1: is, this is, <laughs> this is good. All right. Now, Roy, to you,
2: George Carlin was a longtime customer. I'll say, so George Carlin comes to town here playing over in the Dartmouth arena. And I, we go over backstage and I said, Mr. Carlin, because he loves us. Cause I said, why do you like our puzzles? And, uh, he said, "Oh man, I come in off the road and I just got to decompress. I just I just got to block everything out and relax. And your puzzles are so intricate and beautiful and fun to touch and feel. It's just a total escape for me. So I just I just hide in the corner there on a the cardboard table and work on one of your puzzles and it's just wonderfully relaxing." So, I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that we were talking about that earlier that that's it's the one time that I know for sure I can make my mind sit still. Like, even if a puzzle is frustrating and I get angered by it, it's no different than spicy food. You just go slower and you try to yeah. take your time, because it's still delicious. How did you all decide to stop showing people the pictures of what they would be assembling? Or was that always the MO from the start?
2: This, this is funny, because we're, again, there's just two of us. And back then, if you wanted to put a puzzle picture on your box, you had to print five thousand pictures because, you know, the printing press only runs for three minutes, and you already got a thousand images there. And they, t- you know, well, we're just selling these one at a time. I said, well, sorry, buddy, but, you know, you got to buy five thousand <laughs> sheets. I said, oh, jeez. So I said, all right, let's turn, turn the lemon into lemonade. Or, and I said, all right, let's just flip it. I said, okay. We intensely don't put a picture on the box because <laughs> we want to drive you crazy, and so we we made it work for us, and people love it. Uh, there was one time a uh, when I, I was getting really nervous that the customers wanted a the picture; they were spoiled by looking at the, the picture on the on the cardboard box, and I put a little, not no bigger than this, piece of wood in the in the box with a picture of the puzzle on it. The customers complained, said, we like the mystery of trying to figure out what's going on. We don't want to see the picture, get rid of that thing. So out the door that went, but I came up with something to replace it because that was a little bonus. I said, okay, let's put an extra piece in the box. Okay, it's gonna be a piece like this in the box, but it's extra.
0: Oh, it's extra, you mean it doesn't fit in the puzzle? Correct. Oh my God.
2: (laughs) It fits onto one other piece that is attached to this. And that piece says, sometimes I just don't fit in. And so, oh. meaning...
1: What kind of human being?
2: <laughs> but the customers love it. Because there's a booby trap there. There's an extra piece. And it's not obvious where... You know, you got this little sign that says I don't. sometimes I just don't fit in. And it has a little blip on top that locks into... This one extra piece that is a spitting image of another piece that's in in the puzzle. And so they just, they got these two loose pieces here. They're they're nervous because they don't know which of the 499 pieces fits into that little block there. And so that's driving them crazy on top of everything. So they're super paranoid. Because you know how you work a puzzle and you say, well, there's a piece missing. It's on the floor. It's caught in somebody's sleeve. And so, but that hit A home run because they said they're two masochists. Because they, when I came up with that idea and they they loved it and they
1: loved to give me grief, there's something so just unique and beautiful about what you all do. Why do you think this has never or has it ever been attempted to be copied in mass by the bigger? Because I almost look at what you all do as we're the delicious food truck that never went corporate and opened 5,000 stores somewhere. We yeah, never yeah. sold the recipe yeah. to someone else as well. Right. Why Why is it that no one has tried to even come close to this level of madness? With well,
2: customers? Roy, it's a very good question. Uh, and I decided early on I'd rather be the big fish in a little pond or big frog in a little pond than you know a big corporation. And so... The idea, now keep in mind, cardboard puzzle a day, 500 pieces, it will go, will cost you about $15. You go get a laser cut wooden puzzle, which is beautifully cut and mimics, you know, some of our shapes here, but not, it doesn't do what our puzzles do. It's $150. A 500 piece state puzzle is $1,500. And so, you know, that's serious change there. And We can't keep up with the demand. We are, for the past year, because of COVID, we have been flooded. It's been around the clock, nonstop. People just are, they're trapped. They get the money. They're in their penthouse or their whatever. And they just can't get enough of us. So I decided that because no one else, we have no competitors. They mimicked us and fell by the wayside because the off-season in the puzzle business is a killer. Uh, When you're going from uh, basically Valentine's Day, waiting till Thanksgiving, how the hell do you
0: survive? Oh yeah, I was gonna say, that's the off-season then, is just outside of gift-giving times? Christmas is your big time, essentially.
2: Christmas is huge, but it took me 20 years to build up enough of a customer base so it was self-perpetuating, meaning every day someone's calling for birthday, anniversary, gift, or a puzzle for themselves. And again, 20 years, and no competitor has lasted 20 years out there. I'm the only nutcase that lasted the 20 years, and there are 25, 26 uh, of us in the building here, and I said, okay, we're going to work our buns off here. I'm going to charge enough so that we can make good money. It's very profitable. I mean, if, if we have no competition, if we're working with the wealthy, wealthiest people, uh, why not? Because I did a survey one time to our customers, to a handful of them, saying, okay, what do you what, what's most important to you, price, quality, creativity, customer service. Customer service were Johnny on the spot. They got a wedding coming up, they, they want something the next three days later, you know, we'll come in here and work till midnight to cut that puzzle and get them to, for the special event. Price came in last, almost every time. Okay. I'm no dummy. I say, okay, I'm to give them customer service, creativity. Price came in last, so I said, okay, I'm just going to jack the price up there and make a comfortable living here. Why not? <laughs> and so it's, uh, and that's the way it's worked because we are an entertainment business. We entertain them with our puzzles, with, with our phone calls, with our emails, or with our website. And they, they love us. So it's a personality cult type of thing. Me as Chief tormentor. me cooking up all these new ideas. Keep in mind that when we came along, we were the first in the world to create original art jigsaw puzzles. Up until we came along, you had to go down to the Harvey Coop or you had to go find an image someplace that came off the press and glue it down to the wood and do some nice stuff with it. And I said, at a Christmas party, uh, uh, the husband of one of my wife's co-workers was an artist, Jim. And I said, Jim, why don't come over to the puzzle shop and let's cook up a project here creating original art jigsaw puzzles. And so I showed you the irregular edge here, the castle top. And I said, here's what I want. Irregular edge, irregular sides. I want cavities in the middle where we do some dastardly things. I'm in trouble. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so we sat down. Can you imagine having a freedom, creative a freedom, sit down with an artist and say, "All hey, right, I want to stick it To the customer, here, 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 and here. Uh, What they hate about us, because we're the only ones that can do it, because you can't even do that with a laser, we color line cut between the red and the blue.
0: Yeah, what does that mean? Can you tell me what that means, Steve? Like, what is a color line cut?
2: For instance, uh, you got a blue water, you got a little pond, you got green forest around the little pond, blue pond. If you cut around that blue pond exactly and separate the blue from the green-brown of the trees and stuff like that, an occasional interlock, and they hold it in place.
1: What kind of human being? They,
2: they, Right. They will put together the brown pieces and say, okay, there's more brown over here, but in fact, it's a blue pond. Uh, and just to be able to separate it in that fashion, uh, just you know, puts them back on their heels. Oh, what's he doing now? So they get paranoid with
1: us. Yeah, you don't even know where the two parts of the picture connect.
2: Yeah, and so- Because you've
1: super separated them. Ah!
2: Yeah, yeah. And now we, we say, okay, what if we put pieces in the center of the puzzle that look like a corner piece or looks like an edge piece?
0: This is insane to me. I've seen it of you talking about this before. Describe that. So you just, you actually created a piece of the puzzle that sits in the middle, but it looks like an edge. Is that right?
2: Yeah, it's, it's got a right angle there. It's got interlocks. It looks <laughs> like it could could be a, a corner piece. And then a, another thing I came up with is called a whammy edge, where there are two edge pieces that both look like corner pieces that abut each other right next to each other on the edge, two right angles. Okay. But you take a third piece that grips these two pieces, two corner pieces, and holds it all together. So it all holds together and works, but when you're working with it, you're looking at does this corner piece go in the edge? What's he doing to us now? Does this corner piece go in the center here? And we will cut uh, negative space into what we call sculpt images, like you took an acid pen and drew an image. I, I, a customer who used to work for the Boston Pops, well, I did, I did a years ago, a special image of Arthur Fiedler directing the Pops, and I sculpted the image of Arthur Fiedler up in the sky, or up in the upper part of the puzzle. And he loved that, and we do that We do that regularly. So it's like, we do things that uh, nobody, you can't do with a la- you can you can program it in there on a laser cut puzzle, But because each puzzle that we cut is a little bit different, because it's not stamped out, they're not mass-produced, they're cut one piece at a time, it gives us the ability to do things that nobody else can do. So think about that. You can't do that with cardboard puzzles. You can't do that with laser cut. Oh, and we can do it here, and we're the only ones in the world that do it. Well, our customers have so much money, you know, they're saying, okay, I'm not going to pay Steve... uh, this much money. And and by the way, sadly, Bill and Melinda Gates have been customers for 35 years. Oh, no. Yeah.
0: The billionaire philanthropists Bill and Melinda Gates have announced they are to divorce. The couple, who run
1: the world's biggest charitable foundation together, have been married for 27 years.
0: Who's the customers? My question is it Bill or Melinda?
1: Well,
2: Paula, who's, who's our... CEO here. He said, Well, maybe we'll get two
1: customers out of it. Yeah. I don't know. I was going to ask, so, which one do you get in a divorce? That's right. Yeah.
2: So uh, here's a story. Again, they've given me permission. This was uh, 30 years ago, and I got a call from uh, somebody. said, I'm uh, Bill Gates' uh, private secretary, and, and this was in April. Okay. Mr. and Gates are coming to resort near you in Vermont in October. And they'd like a tour of the shop Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, October 10th. Are you free? I can't even, my calendar is totally blank. I mean, way out there. <laughs> but okay, if they're going to come here and they're going to uh, want a tour, I'm saying, oh, Jesus, Sunday morning, nobody's going to be here. But fortunately, it was close enough to the holiday season that we were starting to crank up. and The shop was packed. Because everybody wanted to get a glimpse of uh, Bill and Melinda coming in. And, and Bill sat right here. And I was explaining, you know, showing them what we were doing and stuff like that. I mean, they've loved us for years. And they give puzzles to all their friends out there. And, and you can imagine the friends like, oh, what's this? Oh, check it out on their website. They faint. They recover at the prices. And they buy puzzles too for their friends with the yachts. I can't tell you how many yacht puzzles we've done. If you've been a house guest, so to speak, on a beautiful yacht, 150 foot yacht or uh, whatever, what do you do? You give the you give the person a puzzle. And then that person says, what the hell's this? Oh, this is kind of fun. Oh, I got to check it out. Oh, look at those prices. Oh my God. But the wife says, honey, come on. I want one of those puzzles. Bill and Linda have it, so you know, come on. And, and we've been out there to their home to do special projects for Melinda. So it's like, it's, it's been a fun trip.
1: That's awesome. Your staff, how do you hire a puzzle? Because your brain is very unique. My wife says. <laughs> <laughs> how do you see if someone has that same level of proclivity, that same intellectual curiosity?
2: Excellent question, Roy. Because we're still—we don't know. It's still a (laughs) crapshoot. We asked them during the interview: Do you do you sew? Do you knit? Do you work with your hands? Do you like to do crafts? We try to size them up because we we tell them this is hand cut, one piece at a time, and you got to like the crafting business. But we never know, and we have a 30-day trial and and a 30-60-day. And I would say one out of four doesn't make it because they just wow uh, just is too much for them it doesn't come naturally because after a while when you're cutting a puzzle you can't focus on we don't use a template for the pieces it's it's freehand so to speak except for some of the special pieces so you've got to do it intuitively uh, and it's got to come naturally you don't have to forebrain it if you had to forebrain it the whole friggin' time during the day you come away with a migraine at the end after after about a month we'll, we'll know whether the person is picking up that ability just to go with the flow and learn how to spin the wood around the blade and give us a decent looking puzzle piece. So I would say three out of four, do okay. They make it to the next level.
1: Is there Are there degrees of difficulty to your puzzles or is it all 500 piece? this is the standard puzzle? Like how maddening could I drive my five-year-old with one of your puzzles or should I not do that to him? Yet? <laughs>
2: We did attach uh, levels of difficulty to the trick puzzles. Now, let me show you. This is my invention. I came with, up with this in 1980.
0: You want to just describe that for us, too, Steve, so people who are listening might listen?
1: looks like a snake. Yeah, it's, yeah.
2: A, it's a caterpillar. So, here the mouth is over here, and here's our clown, our logo, and then you get the tail over here. You have to rearrange these pieces so they form a butterfly, which is on the upper part of the screen here. And so this puzzle here will form into the butterfly up here. That means that there are pieces here where one piece fits identically into two places. Now, that was my big breakthrough because we've got written up in the Boston Globe one time. Say, oh, the world's most difficult puzzles. That was me saying that. (laughs) I was trying to hype the puzzles and the... uh, Customer orders a $300 puzzle back then, and he calls me up two days later after getting it. He you Dave, you advertising the Globe and the article, you make it with multiple puzzles. I knocked this $300 puzzle off in two days. What's the story here? And so he had his tongue in the cheek. He wasn't going, I offered his money back, but he said, No, no, no. I just want to tell you that, you know, two days, that's all. You know, I expected I was going to work on this in you know, 20 days. And that really ticked me off. I said, All right, how the heck can I drive someone totally around the bend? where they'd have to work on it 20 days, and uh, they'd feel like they got their money's worth. So that's where I came up with this, but it took me about a year to figure out how to cut a puzzle so that they identically, two, one piece fit identically into two places, and then to form a, a butterfly up here. Uh, these have been a huge success, particularly for, for instance, a woman who's got a smarty pants husband, and, uh, she wants to stick it to him because <laughs> she wants them to get lost for a couple days. So she'll order it. And we have five levels of difficulty. These are all my designs. We're close to 100 of these designs over the last 40 years. And so I'm the only one in the world that does it. I've trained people, but they get brain cramps and they just give up. <laughs> That's so awesome. yeah,
1: You think? <laughs>
0: yeah. Hey, uh, Steve, I have a question for you. If you met somebody who's young and wants to get into this business, uh, what do you tell them? You've
2: got to, you gotta, you have to check your sanity because uh, it was, or uh, leave your sanity at the door. It's, it's a, I was forced into it a little bit. I mean, we we were, eking out a living, David and I. David and Steve makes the word stave as I think I said it means to stave in also, uh, to break to pieces. So. Honestly, I'd say forget it, because Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book, The Outlier. uh, And uh, I read the book, I said, Jesus, that's me, basically saying you don't become an expert, the world's expert in anything, uh, until you spend 10,000 hours. Jesus, that that is me. I have spent 10,000 hours over the last 40 years inventing this whole new line of puzzles so if somebody wants to compete with me while I'm above ground or whatever or down the road, I say, you know, start counting your ten thousand hours because that's how long it's going to take. I mean, I'm working on a new puzzle design right right now, and I realize uh, it's great fun. And I'm I'm semi-retired, but it, I still have those ten thousand hours, ten thousand mistakes of wrong paths that I went down, and I found myself intuitively just last week working on a new design. I started down this way, this avenue. Boom. Part of me said, don't do it. You know, you've been there, done that, doesn't work. <laughs> and it's just, it was instinctive. I said, oh, you're right. All right. So I tried something else. So I've been so battle scarred. I just know which streets not to go down. Uh, or if I forget, my subconscious reminds me. That's the amazing thing. And that's the amazing thing about, I don't know, Roy, if you if you found this, but people We'll go to bed at night and they're they're trying to find pieces to fit in and they just you know they go to bed and they come down in the morning they walk over to the puzzle table and they reach over and they grab the piece they've been hunting for the previous night have you ever experienced anything yeah. like that
1: yeah you come back and the first piece you pick up is the one that you've been looking for for the last three days
2: isn't that amazing yeah. it's just it's just the human brain how hundreds of pieces you're looking at there and you come down and you grab that piece it's just the it's just astonishing. You know, it's a great escape. It's very hard to watch TV. You can do it, but you you need your, almost your total focus. And uh, do, like Roy, like George Crown, you come off the road, do you find puzzles help you relax too?
1: Yeah, that's literally what we had talked about earlier. Like that was my thing when I got out to Los Angeles, like that was the happy place and it just created stillness. And it's like, it's the easiest way to clear my brain to start writing material or if i need to get to a creative space i have to get all the negative stuff and other stuff in the world out of my head first
2: yeah because you're a very creative guy you've got quite a, a, a resume there i'm
1: impressed and and if a cheap puzzle could clear my brain there's no telling what <laughs> your puzzle's gonna do i've been doing these cheap pharmacy grocery store puzzles now. I gotta get my life together hey.
2: All right, but Roy, you're coming along. You're a big success now. Here you go. Crank it up a notch.
1: (laughs) All right, I'll order one. Yes. You sold me on it. I think I'll do a custom. Uh, Roy, anything else you want to know before we go? No, I'm good, man. Thank you. This is great. Now I have a new obsession, and I will send you hate mail when I can't solve your puzzle. (laughs)
0: Uh, Steve, thanks so much for joining us. I I always have been asking our experts, too, if they have one thing they want to throw out that they're obsessed with as well. Is there something that you can't get out of your brain right now?
2: My bad golf
0: swing. I've been there.
2: Now, now get this. I'm a bogey golfer. I don't know if that was the path you're going down, but this is... I became so obsessed uh, four years ago with my lousy golf swing that I went out and I bought this high-tech golf simulator that I have in my in my garage uh, office where I hit it into the screen and I got a computer readout and I see the arc of the ball, blah, 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 blah. I have invented over the last four years a brand new Duffer golf swing because I figure, this is what irritates me about golf is that it's the haves and the haves not. The haves with the athletic ability can wail at a mile and it all comes naturally. And that's 20% of the market. 80% of the market is like me, the leftovers, the non-athlete. But I still enjoy hitting the ball, but I can't use their swing. But they're trying to teach me their swing. But for 80% of us, their swing doesn't work. So I have invented a whole new swing. And my buddy says, uh, oh, this guy is a, you know, nutty, You See can, In fact, you can go to look at it. I don't make any money on this. And what is the website now? www Hiphuggerswing.com.
0: Oh, great! <laughs> Hiphugger,
2: H-I-P, H-U-G-G-E-R, swing.com. So that is my obsession, because as I age and I don't hit it as far, I'm still trying to come up with a new technique. I don't know if, that, if that's where you were going with that question, but that's pretty uh, good.
0: I'm uh, a, I'll, I, I'm I'm in that 80% myself as well, so I'm looking for a new golf swing also. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks so much. You, I really appreciate both of you guys coming on here. Um, Steve and Roy, uh, thanks for joining us on Way Too Interested. We really appreciate it.
2: Gavin, thank you. Roy, thank you very
1: much. Great fun. Thank you, Steve. All
0: right, everybody. That is today's show. Thank you for listening to the first ever episode of Way Too Interested. I really appreciate everybody. And again, please... Tell people about the show, rate it on iTunes. I am going to try to start, I think, a Discord if I haven't already by this point, but I think that would be fun to have a, a community that we can have conversations and, and discover new stuff. If you don't follow me on Twitter, feel free. My uh, my Twitter handle is at Gavin Purcell. I don't know if I'm going to start a Twitter handle or anything else for the show. I feel like it's only 10 episodes. We'll see how it does. But I want to say thank you to a few people in specific. Um, this made mostly by me this show. I you know, book it write the intros, do all the other stuff. But one person has been very helpful in putting it together, and that's Eric Johnson of lightningpod.fm. But the key is uh, if you have anything you need to do in the podcasting world, Eric has been great. He used to work at Vox Media where I worked for a short amount of time and does a great job of helping getting podcasts off the ground. Whether it's editing or anything else, you should check him out. Uh, Also, big thanks to the Gregory Brothers for making my intro theme song. That was super fun. I really enjoyed working with them, and hopefully uh, we will have one or more of them on the show at some point in the future. And for now, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Please share the show with anybody, and we'll be back uh, next week with a new episode. That will be episode number two. (laughs) Okay, everybody. Thanks for uh, indulging and listening to this. I appreciate it. Uh, Talk to you soon.